Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Wall Street Journal bestselling writer Matthew Fitzsimmons, author of the new novel, Constance. Matthew, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. How are you? Sure. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your new novel, Constance, how would you describe the novel? Well, it's a little bit of, it's a, uh, it's a, it's been an interesting one trying to describe to uh, pick a lane for it. Uh, literature, uh, you know, the, the industry loves to have a lane. You're a this, you're, you're, a, you're a romance novelist, you're a fantasy novelist, you're a this novelist. And I have traditionally been a mystery thriller writer. I wrote a five book series, the Gibson Bond series, for anyone who's read it. Uh, that was sort of a traditional mystery thriller uh, arrangement uh, story. Uh, and Constance is a little bit of a departure, if you think about it in those terms. It is a science fiction mystery thriller um, that is uh, that takes place just a few years in the future. It's set in Washington, D.C. In, uh, in the late 2030s, 2040, and it is about a young woman who is navigating a world where uh, human cloning is a is becoming a reality. That it, it's a new nascent technology, and uh, essentially, if you wanted to distill the book down, it's a book about a a woman who has to solve her own murder to save her own life. It's a story of a clone who is investigating the death of her original, the person upon whom she is based. <laughs> That's a, a great premise. Do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to writing Constance? <laughs> I do. I remember it very clearly. It was one of those um, sit up in bed eureka moments. Um, I, I like to play a game with myself where I try to uh, take a familiar conceit or idea and see if I can spin it in an original direction. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't, but I like the exercise of like, you know, how could I take the bank heist and turn it on its head? Or how could you take a rescue story and change it in some way that I hadn't seen before? And I was, I basically posed the question to myself, how could someone be put in a position to be both detective and victim? How could someone have to play both roles and investigate their own murder? And I sort of spent the whole evening sort of thinking about it and, and uh, trying to think of examples where it had been done before. There's an old 50s movie called DOA, which was remade in the 80s with Dennis Quaid <laughs> uh, about a, uh, a university professor who's poisoned and he's dying and he has to find out what happened to him. Uh, and, and then there's a movie called Crank, which is a little bit the same, where someone has been injected someone and is dying. And then there's some supernatural stories where ghosts come back looking for answers and sort of try and get someone to. So there's a, there's a, a supernatural thrust. There, you know, there, there are a couple of different attempts to it, but I hadn't seen anything exactly like this. Because how could you? How could you be dead and still investigating your own murder? Well, what if you're a clone? And it was sort of like 1230 at night and I was lying in bed and I was falling asleep. And I had a, I literally did one of those Hollywood movies, sit up straight in bed, <laughs> Eureka things. And I like you know, ran to my keyboard and I, I, it was a, it was a Thursday night and I stayed up all night um, writing notes, uh, world building and 
uh, I, I wound up writing the first chapter, which is now chapter four. And this, and then I put it back in a drawer and I didn't touch it again for a couple of years because I was sort of in the thick of the Gibson Bond books. Um, and, but kept pulling it out, kept noodling with it, and was a little bit afraid of it because, again, it's sort of like once you're one kind of writer, it's very difficult to say, oh, I want to now do something slightly different. That can be very uh, confounding to your publisher who has finally figured out how to market you, and now you're like, no, 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 but now I want to do this, <laughs> market me a new way. But they were very supportive of it, and they liked the idea, and um, and uh, I'm very excited to write this finally after five years of thinking about it to see it, you know, come out and let and let people react to it and see what they think. That's great. So, what was it about cloning and the idea of cloning that intrigued you? Well, once you know, once I had the idea, once I went, well, cloning will allow me to do this ridiculous story idea. Once I was wedded to it as a, this solves my my solve the question of how, how can I contrive to tell this kind of story? Then I started, you know, then I started actually like reading about cloning and trying to look at the technologies that were involved with the, the way, the way that I was going to present cloning. Um, and, you know, one of the ideas was it, that is necessary to this idea of consciousness upload. So in my book, uh, you know, the, the, Cloning is basically used as an insurance policy. So if you know, you know if Jeff Rutherford was accidentally killed, uh, the company that did the cloning would have a copy of his consciousness and a clone of his standing by. They would download the consciousness into the clone, and Jeff could carry on his <laughs> merry way with a minimum of disruption. And that and that and that that was the the concept behind. Uh, and you know, getting one of the fun things about being a, uh, a thriller writer is, is people who are experts on subjects are always so happy to talk to you and sort of share their uh, their expertise. So I wound up talking to you know they are starting to map human consciousness. The idea of consciousness upload, while it does not exist, is something that is starting to be explored, and, and what the uh, what the necessary mechanics of that would look like. And of course, cloning is fascinating because we already do human cloning in this country. We do it every single day. Uh, we, you know, in stem cell research in laboratories, human cells are cloned. What we don't do is bring a human. We, we don't clone a human and bring it to a viable birth. That's sort of the line that we've drawn. So, it, but there are no federal laws against it, interestingly. Uh, the states have various laws on it. There are states that, that outlaw human cloning, and there are states that don't in 2021. Uh, but there are no federal laws governing. It's just sort of, it seems to be just sort of a gentleman's agreement that we won't do it, but there's not actually anything to prevent it happening. And that, and then, so once I had that as a basis, it was just, it was really fun to to think about how if you introduce this cloning, this idea of cloning, human cloning, how would America react or how would the world react to something that was so foreign, something so transformative and 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 potentially scary? Like how would we as a culture and as a society and as a legal uh, 
uh, entity react to someone going going ahead and and doing it. So it was just a, it was just a really fun concept to sort of play what if sure. to build a world where it existed. And I'm curious, what was your initial writing journey that led you to writing and getting your debut novel published? Well, that's, <laughs> I like to joke that I was an overnight success 25 years in the making. Well, tell us about um, those 25 years. So, uh, you know, I, uh, I wrote a novel in my 20s. Uh, I, I, I spent four years working on it. It was a literary novel. It was a, as a lot of first novels are, it was a brooding, uh, somewhat autobiographical story. Um, I, you know, I sort of put everything else on hold. I waited tables. I, you know, I, I was sort of, I, I basically was the starving artist. And when, by the time I got done with it, I didn't like it very much, <laughs> possibly because I don't think it was very good. Plus I had spent most, you know, I spent a good portion of my twenties working on it while the people I went to college with had gotten graduate degrees and were getting married and were buying houses and I was waiting tables. And you sort of, you know, when you try to go the arts route, there can come this moment where you're like, okay, I have made a terrible mistake. I have, I took my shot and I missed, you know, you, you know, it's the people who go out to Hollywood at 20 and try and be actors and they spend 10 years doing it and then it doesn't happen. And what do you do? Do you keep chasing the dream or do you, uh, or do you, you know, get a job and, and, and try and make up for lost time? Uh, and it can be a real crisis of consciousness. And I, I have, or not conscious of the crisis of, uh, to just existential, like, what am I doing with my life? Mm -hmm. Um, and I spent a few years working in sort of the tech sector, uh, you know, because it seemed like a way to make some money. And I didn't really like that very much. And then in my early thirties, I, very, I, I took a job teaching high school English. Um, and I spent 12 years as a 12th grade high school English teacher and I stopped writing. I didn't write anymore. I didn't like writing. I didn't talk about it because it was, frankly, it just felt embarrassing. Like when, you know, you try and do something, if you spend four years writing a novel, at some point people are sort of like, are you really working on a novel? Or you need to say you're working on a novel and art and you're just sort of, you know, messing around. <laughs> um, and it was kind of uh, kind of miraculous teaching English and reading books and talking about books every day. Slowly I got the bug back and I started writing again and I didn't talk about it. I didn't tell anyone I was writing again. It was my, you know, it was just for me. And I was almost embarrassed to be doing it again at first. I was like, I don't want anyone to know because I'll be like, oh, come on, Matt, don't, don't go down that. That 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 book that rabbit hole again, um, and then I guess in 20, 2012, so I guess nine years ago now, golly, I uh, I started writing my first what eventually became my first published novel, which was uh, the short drop, and I spent sort of two years working on it largely in secret, and then I showed it to some friends, and I was a 
would you read this, uh, you know, as a published book? And they, and I, there were people that I knew wouldn't lie to me or wouldn't tell me what I wanted to hear or tell me the painful truth. And they're like, this is good. Finish this. Um, and I did. And, and at the ripe old age of 40, what was I, 43, 44, uh, I got an agent and he had a wonderful fellow named David Hale Smith. Uh, and he got me a, a book deal that enabled me to stop teaching and to write full time. And Short Truck came out and I was very fortunate that it did well. And I've been writing full time ever since. And this is my sixth book. So it was this sort of amazing, you know, the, it was, it was sort of a, it was like, I was sort of down to my last strike. I had tried, uh, to make my dream happen a number of times. And this was sort of my last chance and, or what felt like my last chance. Sure. Uh, and you, got very lucky. you, you mentioned, uh, this initial idea where you sat up in bed, where you were thinking about constants and you said you sat up most of the night making notes and you were working on other novels. So you didn't write it immediately when you came back to it. What, what is your writing process? And, and is it similar from book to book? Do you do a lot of plotting before you sit down and, and write the first word or the first chapter? So it's been changing. I don't, I don't know how it is for you, but I, I do this thing after every book where I, I sort of sit down and I, I do like an after action report. <laughs> where I say, all right, what worked well here? What worked badly here? Um, what can you improve? What should change? Um, when I started, I, when I started writing Short Truck, I literally just sat down and started writing. I had no idea where it was going. I didn't know what it was about. I just started it. And I was 30,000 words in before I even figured out what my main character was about and what he was doing and frankly actually the the, the whole story changed like I I, I I was doing a I was doing a story about a guy who has a terminal disease and he gets basically approached to do a a suicide mission and that was the idea for the story and and at some point I was like I don't want it to be a suicide mission that's <laughs> just I, and I, I literally dropped the, whole, the, the the idea that got me started on it just fell away and it became a much more interesting book after that. And gradually over time, I think I'm more of an outliner now than I was. Um, I, I, I treat it like a job. I get up in the morning, uh, you know, whenever I, you know, I'm usually up by six and I try to be in the chair by six thirty, and for a while, I would work from 6.30 until 5 or 6 every day. And it was six, to six or seven days a week. And I, like, I, it was years. Before. I, I didn't take a vacation for years. Like I felt this like, now you have this thing. Don't ever stop. And a book or two ago, I sort of did my after action point. I was like, you're killing yourself. <laughs> Your writing is getting worse. You're, you're, you're pushing too hard. And your overall quality is dropping because you are exa mentally exhausted. And now I, you know, I get up at six in the morning and I work until noon. And I, I have a, a word count in mind. And if I hit it, I'm done. And if I'm not, I keep going. And if I am, I'm done for the day. Uh, and I'll go back and I'll edit or I'll do some 
you know, other work or, uh, you know, and I make sure to get some, I also wasn't getting any exercise for a while there. And I was like, nope, got to keep that in. Um, you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And you sort of get under deadline and you're like, well, I guess nothing. I don't have to do anything else. I can eat whatever I want. I can, I can, I don't have to exercise. All I have to do is get, get the book to deadline. And one of the things I learned is that you got to take care of yourself. Like it's a, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And so I think I'm gradually finding better balance about it and, and I'm less like manic to be always working. Does that make any sense to you? Yes, it does. It does. I'm curious, outside of the, the exercising and and cutting your day short, were there other techniques that you used to deal with kind of the mental exhaustion? Um, I take weekends off. Uh, mo- well, that's a lie. That's a flat out lie. That is just, <laughs> that's just not true. I, I try to take weekends off. I, I, uh, I, and I have taken vacations. I have gone away from writing altogether. Just said, okay, I'm not going to write this week and we're, I'm going to take a trip. And that was really hard for me. You know, like a lot of my vacations were like, I would just go somewhere else and work there. Um, and that would be my vacation. I'm like, I'm going to go somewhere scenic and sit and work. <laughs> um, and that's not really, you know, that, that's not recharging the batteries, although that's nice and that's really nice to be able to do. And I still like those kinds of trips too. Or just saying, I'm not even going to take my computer with me. I'm just going to go somewhere and like have a vacation and like unplug and not think about the book or, uh, writing for a couple of days, it makes a huge difference. You come back, you know, I, at least I come back and I'm excited. I've got new ideas and I've got, and I sort of refound my energy. If that makes any sense. Sure. Are you working on another novel now? Uh, I am. I uh, am unexpectedly writing a companion novel to Constance uh, called Chance. Uh, which uh, takes place about two years after the events in Constance, and with, uh, which had not been the plan at all. When I was writing Constance, it was really going to be a, a standalone book, and that was going to be it. Uh, and then at some point, my publisher had, had seen a draft of Constance and, and said, oh, you know, we'd really like another one of these. And I went, well, that's great. I don't have another one of those. And they're like, oh. 
that's too bad. And I said, well, you know, I, I'm sorry, but like that was what we agreed. <laughs> and a day or two later, I took a shower. Um, and by the time I got out of the shower, I had a second book. Like it just sort of came to me in a, well, what if this? And, uh, and I called him up. I was like, change your plan. I have a second book. And like, what are you talking about? You said you didn't have one. I said, well, I took a shower. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, the Colombian author, was famous for. Uh, I, I sort of took a lesson from him. Everyone, I think every writer's got their own tricks, but his was he had about four extra hot water heaters uh, installed in his house in Bogota, and he didn't get out of the shower in the morning until he knew what he was writing for the day. And sometimes that meant being in the shower for a long long time and I've, I've always i've always felt a certain kindred but kinship with the man because i also find the, the hot shower to be a very uh conducive um figure out your figure out your next move that's uh, space that's great well what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels so i mean one of the pieces of advice that i I mean, one piece of advice I give is you know, disregard all advice uh, because there is an awful lot of it. And one thing that uh, author, writers who have already been published love to do is to give advice. Um, and by and large, you know, their writing is a, you need to figure it out, what works for you. That said, I think it's useful to hear what other writers mm -hmm. do um, and understand that it's, that's only necessarily right for them. Like I dare anyone to try and write the way Stephen King writes. I mean, the man writes 11 books a year. You know, there's, there's nothing he can tell me that's going to make me as uh, prolific as he is. I'm just not that guy. So his advice is not necessarily going to fit my, my model, but uh, I will give my English 12 advice, which is one of the things that one of the ways that I sort of, figured out how I was going to write was that, you know, so one of the pieces of advice that's sort of common and which I think is an excellent piece of advice is people say, well, you should, you need to read all the time. You need to read everything you can hand on, read lots of authors, read, 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 read. And I think that is true. 100% read a lot, but, and here's my, here's my counter to that. Uh, so the people say read broadly, but I would also say to read narrowly. And what I mean by that is one of the interesting things of being, about being a 12th grade English teacher is that there were certain books that I taught for eight years, eight, nine years, every year. And that meant that I, I would reread the book uh, prior to beginning it. And then I would read it as the, the kids were reading it. So if, they, if I said read chapters one and two for Wednesday, I would read chapters one and two for Wednesday. And what that meant was I, there were certain books that I wound up reading 50 times. And I, I think I chose pretty good books. So I was reading books by, you know, phenomenal. You know, I read Song of Solomon by Toni Morrison 50 times. And I, you know, you know it's, it's the interesting thing. You, you know, you take your favorite musician, your favorite band, and their favorite album, you've probably listened to that album a hundred times, 500 times over the course of 20 years. 
And every time, you know, and you get to know that music intimately and in a way that that uh, I don't think you even realize it. You do, you know, you know it note for note. You know, you know when the key changes are. You just you know that song by you know you, you know it so so well. The interesting thing about books is we you know an author Kazuo Ishiguro takes five or six years to write a book. We read a Kazuo Ishiguro book in two or three weeks, depending on how fast you read. And we put it down and we never look at it again. And we think that we got it, that we understand what this Nobel Prize winning author did. And what I would tell a writer is you didn't. You don't begin, you didn't begin to see really what that writer, what that that phenomenal author did, what Tony Morrison did or what uh, Kajua Shigoro did or whomever you want to name. And so what I would say is if you come across a book that you love, that you think, wow, how did that book have this effect on me? And I, I keep thinking about it. Consider reading it again and then reading it again and reading passages of it over and over. And you will learn things from it and techniques from it that that you just will not. It's not possible to see on a on a first reading. It's just not possible. That's my advice. That's great. Well, what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? So I, I just read Casual Sugar. <laughs> I'm literally looking at it right now. I, I read Clara and the Sun, uh, which which I, I Casual Sugar for me is just a uh, an appointment novelist. When he, when his new book comes out, I uh, I have to stop and read it. I mean, I think he wrote he actually wrote a book about clones, Never Let Me Go, which I think is still for me the best one. You know, it, it's interesting. You're starting to see, you know, you're starting to see this interesting like blending of the genre. You know, that that for a long, you know, Kajir Shigur has with his last few books, he wrote a uh, a book about human cloning. He wrote kind of a fantasy novel, and he wrote. Uh, Claire and the Sun is about a robot girl, and they're all literary fiction novels. And the, there's suddenly this interest and acceptance in in authors using science fiction and fantasy, which has always been sort of sort of cast off to the side as a sort of like niche, you know, niche genre thing that is separate from you know quote-unquote serious fiction and now all of a sudden you're seeing this wonderful uh you know, i don't know whether you want to call it discarding of those that those strict labels um and anyway so that i read that and that was pretty terrific and then i read um i, I read andy weir's uh, last one project hail mary which was a lot of fun and i'm just about to start uh razor blade tears by uh by S.H. Cosby, which is uh, supposed to be a phenomenal book. I'm very excited about it. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your new novel, Constance? Uh, Well, my website is um, very creatively www.matthewfitzsimmons.com. I'm on Twitter uh, more than I should be. Um, I'm, I'm on Instagram, except I'm terrible at it. Uh, uh, those are probably the three best places to spot me. I'm trying to get better at the Instagram, but, uh, it is not my, uh, natural, uh, it's not my natural medium, but I'm doing sure. my best. 
Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Matthew Fitzsimmons, author of the new novel, Constance. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Matthew, thanks for doing this interview. Jeff, thanks so much for having me on. It was great. Now, for a brief excerpt from the audio book of Constance by Matthew Fitzsimmons, narrated by January Lavoie, available from Brilliance Audio, wherever audiobooks are sold. Brilliance Audio presents Constance by Matthew Fitzsimmons Performed by January Lavoie The little purple Christmas tree had a lot to answer for. Con hadn't celebrated Christmas in the three years she'd lived in Washington, D.C. Hadn't meant to this year, either. But then, on the way home from the corner store, she noticed the tree in a box of junk left on the sidewalk outside her building. She couldn't say what made her rescue it, but it felt right playing Charlie Brown in her very own melancholy Christmas special. She took it up to her apartment and set it on a table, where it twinkled at her hopefully. Other than being two feet tall and purple, and not smelling a bit of pine, the little tree was virtually indistinguishable from the real thing. But it put her in an uncharacteristically festive mood, and she poured herself into decorating. She even baked Gamma Jaws fruitcake, which sat untouched on the kitchen counter, but made the apartment smell like home back in Texas. However, her spirits, like the tree, proved artificial. Celebrating the holidays alone was like setting a bonfire in her living room, one that cast unwelcome light into all the dark, carefully disregarded recesses of her life. The delicate truce she'd recently established with her depression unraveled overnight, and she woke on Christmas morning feeling low as hell. She worked remotely for a small nonprofit, which made it far too easy to avoid human contact if she chose. But how had it been a week since she'd left the apartment for anything other than food? Einstein should have spent more time investigating the uneven way that time passed in December, the supermassive black hole of the Gregorian calendar. Perhaps that was why she accepted the invitation to the dinner that night, an orphan potluck for people with no way to get home for the holidays. Not that she would have set foot in Lanesboro even if she could afford the ticket. She hadn't been home in close to five years, not since the beginning of her sophomore year in college, when Mary Darcy, her mother and righteous servant of God, had informed Con that she was going straight to hell. Con had looked her mother dead in the eye, and with nineteen years of pent-up fury, answered that she'd meet her there. They hadn't spoken since, not even after the accident. The party started well enough, but a table full of lonesome people and their press-on good cheer only reminded Con of how isolated she'd become. She compensated by accepting an invitation to go home with a burly white New Zealander. His name was Oliver, which he pronounced in a way she found delightful. Oliver had thighs like Doric columns, a mane of curly black hair, and a laugh that made you want in on the joke. She had no intention of actually going home with him. These days, it felt better to be wanted than to be had. But she enjoyed the confidence of his attention. To a point. 
After dessert, she extricated herself from the table to the living room and fell into a conversation with a musician who Khan discovered shared her Mick Ronson obsession. And like that, Oliver and his tragic thighs were forgotten. How many people even knew the name Mick Ronson anymore? Much less could hold a knowledgeable, geeked-out conversation about his guitar work on early Bowie albums like Aladdin Sane and Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. It was like discovering a shared, secret language. And the two women huddled in a corner for the rest of the night, talking guitars and exchanging songs and tidbits of musical lore. Somehow Khan never knew that Ronson had played guitar on John Mellencamp's Jack and Diane. That blew her mind a little. For the first time in a long while, she wished she'd thought to bring her guitar. At an uncharitable hour the next morning, the bleeding of the alarm woke her. Groping around on the bedside table, she found her LFD and slipped it behind her ear to find out why. Today, December 26th, 2038, will be sunny and clear, with highs in the mid-90s. Another scorcher. The eighth consecutive day and far from a record for late December in Washington, D.C. A calendar notification reminded her about her appointment at Palingenesis. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.